This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's episode, I'm so excited to welcome Patsy Landaveri, who is the CEO and founder of Impacto. Impacto offers an analytics platform called Litico, which reduces regulatory complexities, lowers costs, and deploys powerful, timely analytics for clarity, insights, and better decision-making for oil and gas companies. I can't wait to dive into all of that on today's episode. Patsy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Les. It's so exciting to be here and to meet you, and I really look forward uh, to the conversation that we'll have and, um, and to share some insights with your audience. Wonderful. Well, to begin, you know, our audience, one of the things they love uh, is to hear your story right out of the gate. We'd love for you to share a little bit about who you are, perhaps kind of where you grew up where and and maybe, you know, what you studied and, and, and sort of early career leading up to your inspiration to start this company. Take it away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I was uh, born and raised in Lima, Peru. Um. I uh, lived about 10 minutes from the coast, um, also uh, enjoyed when I was a child, we'll travel to the mountains. So uh, now moving to Colorado, it's always mountains is something that um, has uh, been dear and near to my heart. Um, I was in college in Peru and um, I decided that I wanted something more. So I started looking for universities in the United States. This is during my freshman year of college in Lima. And um, I had some friends of the family that had moved to Lexington, Kentucky, out of all places. And uh, I went through the campus, fell in love with it. Um, and I ended up going to the University of Kentucky and I studied economics there. The wild um, I lived. That's fun. Great, great basketball team usually. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge basketball fan. Blue, blue. Yeah. Um, I studied economics at the University of Kentucky. And, uh, you know, it's a, it was a lot to take in. I moved here by myself and I was staying with friends. But moving to a different country um, definitely was a, a bit of an adjustment. Uh, but I found some great friends and uh, friends who I still have until today. Uh, so Lexington was a was a great place to start my journey in the United States. And um, I lived there for about seven years and I had an aunt that lived here in Denver. So I used to spend my holidays um, in Denver and she convinced me to move here. So I uh, packed up all my stuff in my car. And, you know, after you're driving for endless hours uh, through Kansas, I will never forget the moment that I saw the mountains. And I was like, I have arrived. I can see yes. the mountains. It's flat. For and, those that, who have not done that drive, it is very flat. And uh, you're, I, I know exactly the point when you're talking about, you see the mount, you see the Rockies, and they seem so close, but they're still hours away, right? Exactly. You still have like two to three hours to drive, but you can see them. You know you're yes. getting closer. Yes. Um. So this was in 2007 uh, that I moved to Colorado. And um, while I was here, I was really open to uh, options and really, I didn't have an industry. I didn't have, um, I was agnostic of what I wanted to do. And um, I got a job at an electric co-op, a power company called Tri-State Generation and Transmission. And Tri-State provides um, electricity to four states, Wyoming, Nebraska, Colorado, and New Mexico. Shouldn't they call um, it quad, quad state then? <laughs> I know, I know. I think they only wanted to have three and then a fourth one they came along. One. Don't ask yeah, me which one sense. that was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so while I was at Tri-State, um, I realized that energy really spoke to me. Mm. And um, I went back to growing up in Peru and while I was growing up in Peru, we had um, unreliable energy. So, uh, you know, my school had to function with generators. Uh, we needed candles at night. Uh, there, were, there was some political, um, actually very 
uh, significant political unrest as I was growing up and and not to get too much into it. But what happened is, you know, access to electricity, access to food. This is um, in the 90s. Uh, so I knew what it was not to have energy. And then you move to the United States and then energy here is so, um, you have it everywhere. It's abundant. Um, and there's an so expectation. Like, there's an expectation that when you, you know, flick on the light switch, the light goes on and, and that becomes just expected, right? Yeah, because energy comes from the light switch, doesn't it? <laughs> Exactly. What perspective, though, yeah. for you to have, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot that goes into it, right? So it was really fascinating to me to um, Tri-State had multiple sources of energy. We were going into renewable projects, but also coal um, in Craig, Colorado and natural gas. So really understanding how we produce energy um, and everything that has to take place, not only how you produce it, but how do you transport it? Right. Um, so all of those elements and then infrastructure of the electricity sector in the United States, the grid and uh, what it takes, right? It's very complex. I was so fascinated by it that I decided to do a master's um, in global energy management at CU. Wow. And this was a program uh, that had just started. I was the fifth cohort. Um, and how it started is a lot of industries came together um, from the electricity sector to renewables to oil and gas. And they said, we're going to have a gap with the leadership team. So let's create pretty much an MBA on energy. Mm. Um, so I started that program and again, I, I was agnostic of what I wanted to do, but during the program, I was really drawn by oil and gas, um, and the people that work in the industry. So about three months into the program, I said, you know, my next move, uh, will be oil and gas because what I wanted to do is really see the different industries that make the energy sector. So it's not only electricity, you know, it's also oil and gas because those are the products that we use for our daily living. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have renewables. So you have nuclear. So um, it's a very diverse portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, about a couple of, of uh, years after, I think about a year and a half after uh, I finished the program, I uh, made my move to oil and gas. And I worked for a large operator here in Colorado called, called Noble Energy. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, Noble Energy has been bought by Chevron. Um, and I was working there in the external affairs team. And uh, it really gave me a great perspective as to, you know, what people think about oil and gas. What do Coloradans, how do they feel about oil and gas? How do they feel about energy in general? Because actually, when I was at Tri-State, you know, um, I was doing uh, also community relations and it was really interesting to see how different, you know, Durango might be from, you know, uh, somewhere in Southern Colorado, from Pueblo, you know, how people see energy differently in Wyoming. So mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, you go to different uh, places in the region and people have different perspectives of what the energy mix should look like. Mm -hmm. And I was also fascinated by that. Wonderful. And, and so what approximately, so you're at Noble, uh, this is what kind of uh, early 2010s or 20 teens. Is that right? Yeah. I started there in 2014. Okay. Yes. And so I was at Tri-State for about seven or eight years. And then I started, um, in oil and gas in 2014. And, and by, if, if my research serves, serves me well, by 2017, you were named one of the top women in energy by the, by the Denver business journal. Is that right? I was, I yeah. was, that was a, a, a nice recognition. I, um, you know, one of the things that I had to do in my role was build bridges with the community. And um, a lot of it was listening and understanding uh, what were people's concerns and how we could bring information to them and how uh, to add more value 
into our community. So I manage our corporate social responsibility program. Uh, I did some communications. Uh, so going back to, to education, I was so fascinated. So I finished my master's. I was so fascinated by the communications piece that I had to go back to school um, and get another degree in uh, communications management. And I focus on digital communications. Um, and I did that at DU. Okay. Um, so that was a, a um, kind of great way to combine, uh, you know, having an undergrad in economics with uh, global energy management masters um, and then wrapping that up with communications because it's all about how you tell your story um, how do you manage data to tell a story? And that's where really my um, my uh, interest for analytics. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit because of my economics background, but how do how do bring data to life uh, was really something that caught my attention. Yeah. And what would you say, sort of, you know, this this career that you had, this sort of career progression, leading you to this role at, at Noble Energy. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would probably get to that point in their careers with all the education that you've had to this point, And they would say like, I'm, I made it. I'm, I'm there, right? I've reached the top. I mean, is that fair or a safe assessment? I mean, that's what it seems like most people would assess at that point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I love learning and I love the challenge though. Um, so for me has always been how, how can I make the most impact? And one of my drivers was, you know, I, I moved from Peru, um, really because I still until today, I believe in the American dream. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that is innovation and you cannot innovate if you don't challenge yourself, if you don't try new things, um, and if you don't think bigger, um, so I moved to this country to really make an impact and to contribute. And that's something that I think about every day, mm. um, with the work that I do with my company now with Impacto, but then how am I involved in the community in itself, um, and being part of that fabric of Colorado and the Rocky mountain region. That's right. Cause, cause even, uh, even as you got sort of plugged into the Denver community and the Colorado community, um, I, th- I think I read you were involved in a number of different organizations and still are to this day, um, community-focused organizations, organizations focused on women in business and supporting some of, some local businesses specifically. Um, you want to you kind of talk about some of those and highlight some of those? Because I think sure. there's some really, really neat ones in the mix there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was... Um working at Noble, but this is something that really started early in life. Um, it's, um, I, I will give credit to my mom to, because she has been a super influential person in my life. And, you know, she taught us how to, um, not only think about ourselves, but also think about others and how are we helping the community and people in need. So ever since I was young, I was always volunteering at different hospitals orphanages. Um, and that is something that I've carried throughout my life. Um, I was really blessed that that was part of my job, work with these nonprofit organizations, but I really wanted to give out of my own time um, to the community and be involved. So um, I've been part of the foundation board for the Denver Public Schools. And uh, currently I am um, on the board of the Red Cross of Colorado and Wyoming. Um, and in addition, I am in the board of the Colorado Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Uh, so being part of those organizations, um, uh, and believe me as a founder, it's tough because you have to manage your time. Um, uh, but I do think it keeps you grounded and, uh, yes, startups take a lot of time. But it's always rewarding to give back because you pause for a second and you're like, okay, yes, this is what I'm doing and I'm, I'm building this company. But there's also a community. So with that, um, I really try to 
um, support events and speaking engagements where I can talk to other women, where I can share my journey um, and with the ups and downs because he has all of it, right? You take all of it as a learning experience uh, because there might be some people that don't have someone close that they can bounce ideas off or, or relate to. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important because we still don't have, um, well, I'm going to say it differently. We could use more stories of women in, you know, mm-hmm. in the corporate world, in tech, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of uh, opportunity for growth there. And um, I hope that continues to, to grow and we see more women in leadership positions uh, mm-hmm. because we have a lot to offer. For sure. Well, I mean, and, and, and your, you, you know, the, 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 the amount of courage you had to leave a different country and come here and essentially start, I mean, when you started at University of Kentucky, did you, did you have any other than your aunt in Colorado? Was there anybody else that you, you had in your network or has it really just been building since? Yeah, since? that's, a, that's <laughs> I did not have anyone. And actually my aunt wasn't even in the United States at that <laughs> point. So I really moved here by myself. Amazing. At the age of 19. And um, yeah, it was lonely and it was tough. And I miss my family, of course. I have been in this country now for, what, 24 years, I think. Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing about the United States is that people have been so welcoming. And, you know, it's the family I choose. Mm-hmm. And um, I love my family, but now I also have my family here. And, um, you know, there has not been a holiday, a Thanksgiving, a Christmas that I did not have someone say, Patsy, do you have somewhere to go? Patsy, you're welcome in our home. Um, that has been really cool. Um, I, I, I've learned to love this country and, um, it's, it is a great place to live. That's a wonderful testimony. What, what, what have you done And what advice would you give to other, uh, young, young people that might be thinking about a similar journey or a similar, um, you know, taking under a similar, uh, sort of challenge or adventure and, and wh- whether it's, whether it's not necessarily moving from a different country, but maybe it's you know, having the courage to move to a different city or to a different tech ecosystem or, you know, to uh, even just try a new industry out. You know, I had half a career in this industry. Now I want to try something. Do you have any kind of personal or professional advice that you would give to folks uh, to just encourage them to to do it? Yeah, absolutely. It is... um... It is really interesting to not look back and see how something that I thought was not significant was significant and how saying yes to something opened the door to something else. Mm. When you're doing it, you might not understand the impact, but then you look back and you're like, oh, this tied to this and this tied to this. And, you know, then you start painting, you're painting your own canvas, but at first it's just, you know, you can't make anything out of it at the beginning, right? You might just have some shapes and then those shapes start making sense of of what you're seeing. Um, So I I think for me, it has been always challenging myself to learn something new. And what I mean by that is uh, moving to Colorado. So it was a brand new start for me. I was like, this is my new canvas. I get to paint it the way I want to. So I was really open to what, you know, life in Colorado was going to be after college. So that's when I started at at Trice and I was like, okay, we'll see. Like, what do I see here? And that's when I did my, my master's degree. And then there was another, after I did my master's, there was another program um, called, called the Denver Petroleum Club. It was a mentoring program. So I had a mentor during that program. This is 2012. And my mentor is still in my life. The office that I sit today is the office that my mentor gives me so that I can work. Um, So I never thought while I was doing this, you know, seven month mentoring program that my mentor was actually going to be a sponsor and a lifelong friend and supporter 
of my journey. So I said yes to that. Um, you know, then I go into uh, then I go into uh, noble energy, and I was like, okay, we'll see. And I think sometimes, Les, we're not willing to try things out because what if it doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. And and we make a decision before we even try it. And I always tell myself, and I tell others, try it. And if you don't like it, or if it doesn't work, do something else. It's okay to try something for six months. It's okay to try something for a year or two or five. It's okay. Absolutely. Uh, do you think, is that a cultural thing? Like, is that part of, is that an American culture thing? Or is it just a human thing? <laughs> like, we just, human beings don't like the prospect of failure or the social, you know, the stigma of failure. But I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I mean, a- absolutely. I think, uh, well, several things happen. You know, it's, uh, yeah, failure. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, this didn't work out. And it's like, no, but you learn something. So so it's hard for people to understand that even through failure, you might be a, a better version of yourself. Um, so I think that's a cultural thing. Uh, and in addition, sometimes, and in this journey has really come to light. We um, we put ourselves in a position where we are stuck with something. And I like freedom. I like options. And, you know, I've lived very frugal and, you know, very simple. And that's me. That's me. I love to travel. That's one thing I love to do. I love to travel. Um, but that has allowed me to have more flexibility to have my startup. So it's all about how you, again, making those daily decisions and what do they add up to? Do those decisions give you room and flexibility to start your own company or not? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that that was, I always wanted to give myself options and startup world was not in my in my um in my mapping in my planning what i wanted to do was move to a different country that's what i wanted to do i was like okay i've lived in the united states so i looked into moving so i was like okay if i ever leave i don't want to have a bunch of stuff right so i'm going (laughs) to leave very simple uh in case i move to another country so I did move to another country, but that really created a, a great environment for me to have a startup. That's fascinating. So yeah, it's sort of like uh, creating the terms or the conditions to allow for kind of the direction that your heart and your head want to take you. But in the end, it kind of gets back to this mosaic, this painting analogy you used. In the end, it was that choice that created the terms or conditions for you to actually write the story in a completely different direction right is that is that right exactly yeah it it, um provided that uh room for flexibility and um to where it was easy for me to do one thing or another and again i didn't know this at first i just i wanted to move to singapore um you know or or china uh just because i wanted to try it out Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was able to use that, um, those decisions that I had made to now be a startup founder. And, um, again, I, I think giving ourselves flexibility, giving us room for, for trying new things is really important. And, and, um, as I was talking earlier, that learning piece, because you need to continue to say yes, because you don't know what that yes takes you to. You know, you don't know what the next thing is going to be after you say that yes. And that's the amazing thing about life, um, that it's a journey. And again, you're painting that canvas, right? So right now I'm like, I don't even know what what is going to be in the end, but I'm still painting. Yeah. I mean, and talk about talk about moving to a different country. I mean, we're talking, you you went from, I'm using an analogy here, but you went from being the senior community affairs and communications advisor at Noble, now now Chevron, uh, to being a startup founder. I mean, that is like a different, that's more than just a different zip code, right? 
Um, what what was that decision like? Even once you created the space for that decision, what was what was that like? Yeah, one of the um, things that I loved about my job at Noble it was it was a brand new job, and I had the ability to create, uh, be innovative, and really give things my own flavor. And they supported me with that, which was fantastic. Um, and then while I was doing that, I continue doing programs. I did uh, a program here in Denver called Leadership Denver. Um, you know, again, I continue to expanding my education. I'm like, okay, what can I do with all of these things? Like, how do I put them together and make something out of it? And um, I said, why not open my own company? And in um, I think maybe 2020, 2019, 2020, I started thinking about it. And then uh, Chevron bought Noble. Um, mm. And that was the perfect time because, you know, Corporate America is fantastic. There's so many benefits. I mean, it's great. I've been there. I love it. Um, and it's hard to leave. It's really hard to leave because, you know, I did both my graduate degrees. My company supported me for those. So you get a lot of great benefits. Sure. Um, it, it's comfortable. When, it's safe, right? It's, it's safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's a great, I mean, I had a great platform to work with phenomenal people, expand my education. I mean, it was a fantastic journey and I'm so thankful for it, both Tri-State and Noble Energy. Um, when, when we got bought, um, that was a great opportunity for me because that doesn't happen very often where you're like, okay, now I can leave. And um, at that point, I was like, okay, now I, I'm going to look into opening my own company. And I didn't really know exactly what that looked like. Um, so I, I took a couple of months to, to weigh my options and see who I wanted to be. And maybe as many people that during the pandemic asked themselves, how can I do something that is really purposeful? Right. I, I think a lot of people paused and said and asked themselves, which is great. You want to ask yourself that question. You know, could I be doing something more? Is this really fulfilling who I am and who I want to be? Mm -hmm. And I asked myself that question. I said, Do I want to be in this industry? Do I want to continue to do what I'm doing? And um the answer was yes. You know, energy is something I'm passionate about that I have invested a lot of, of time and resources in learning about the industry. Um, and I was going to have a consulting firm. Um, oh. And the consulting firm was going to be to help companies manage their data and tell their story, either with communities, investors, different stakeholders. And, sp um, and specifically the story around. Uh, sustainability, governance, Correct. environment, like that. Okay. ESG. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Uh, which, uh, you know, it's amazing how things change. Uh, ESG two years ago is not what ESG is today. Um, so things have changed a lot in two years. Um, so once I was working with, with some oil and gas companies, I saw the need for a tool that didn't exist. And this was a tool that would help them uh, manage, organize their sustainability data. So I'm standing in my kitchen one evening and I'm like, how do we solve this problem? And again, I had a, a graduate degree on, in communications management with a focus on digital communications, with, which was dashboards, analytics. Mm -hmm. um, and I said... I need to develop a platform. This is what I need to do. This is the solution for this problem. So I talked with uh, my tech guy at that time and I said, can we build this? And he said, yes. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's build this platform. Build a prototype of the platform, took it to market. And as it happens to many of us founders, that's not what the market wanted. Yep. Um, it's it a was chicken similar. egg, right? Because you got to have something. Otherwise you can't get the feedback, but... 
once you get the feedback, you realize it's something totally different that I actually need to build. So it's kind of this, yeah, I, I remember those days. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. But that feedback is so is so helpful, right? Because in the end, it's not about, I mean, you have an idea of, of the problem that you're trying to solve, but it is your customer that needs to guide you on how to build it. It's not about what you as a founder or the founding team might want to do. You know, you have to find that product market fit and they, you need to listen to your customers. So went back and um, reprioritize the platform and had to change the architecture too. Mm. Um, that was, that was this year and, um, build, you know, some prototypes of what we were going to do. And I've been working on the second version, um, since Q2 of this year. And uh, I am, you know, excited of the progress that, that we have made. That's wonderful. And, and, you know, you mentioned already, and I think it's great advice for founders in terms of, um, creating the conditions or the terms for them to to enable development and success and and all, all the things that that are or progress is really the the measure you know the, the measuring stick what how did you so we we know you were very you know focused on doing that personally what about just from a resource perspective how did you enable the development of the platform did you fundraise did you you know do friends and family did you self-fund what what did you do and what advice or what lessons learned do you have from that experience? So the great thing, and I know that every founder has a, you know, you could have your founder that starts at 22, I mean, 17, 22, 30, 40, 50, you name it. Um, By the way, I had a founder one time. I had a founder come into my uh, uh, accelerator program or, or uh, university program that I ran and he was 96 years old. So I, you know, I always say, you, that's amazing. I always say you can never, you can never put a cap on it. Uh, I can any age, you know, <laughs> no, you should, if you're yeah. solving a problem, yep. it doesn't matter how old you are. If you that's can right. solve it, kudos to you. We need yep. more problem solvers. I agree. Um, at the, with me, um, it was a bit easier because I had, been in the corporate world and that allowed me a few things knowledge of the client knowledge of the market uh, knowledge of the need and also um, being comfortable for a few years I was able to bootstrap the company at first so that gave me that initial uh, resource injection to to build the platform uh, I started one of the things um, I started with with local developers at first. And after that, after I knew I had a clear vision of what the industry was calling for, um, I got a, a um, I did some debt financing to continue to build the platform via an organization here in, in Colorado. And that was really helpful. You know, I already had an idea. I had the problem that we were trying to solve. I had done discovery sessions. I had done a lot of the due diligence needed um, to get some financing. Um, and that was earlier this year. And currently now I am doing another fundraise to finish the, uh, the other modules of the platform. Awesome. Well, it it sounds like you know definitely a very um, you know prudent approach. I think a lot of times founders at the early stage think oh, I I need to I need to go raise I I can't afford or I don't have the time to bootstrap and it's like that's the most expensive capital you're ever going to raise and and then subsequently it sounds like you leveraged a debt instrument which is also much more efficient uh, than equity capital but but certainly there comes a time when growth and you know it just necessitates uh, I think for for really high ambitious, high growth potential companies, you got to do it. But the later you can delay it, the better. I mean, as 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 sort of you you have done, it seems so. Absolutely. So that's a that's a something that I've learned um, in this journey is, you know, when do you pull the different levers? And it can be scary because you're like, wait, wait, wait. You know, like don't do it yet, and it's scary. 
Um, but it's, um, in the end, when you can show some traction, uh, to your point, the cost of capital can decrease significantly mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you, you are in a better spot, but it's always, oh, it's always easier to use someone else's money. It's hard to use your own money. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> well, what about, you, you know, I want to go back and peel back a couple things you said. The first, you said you, you, you noticed this, you saw this need for a tool that d- did not exist. And you built that, you took it to market, you, and then that, that informed your product strategy. What has it become? What is the actual tool? What is the actual problem that you've discovered through your customers? Um, and what is the kind of the, the problem, the major pain point or problem that you're solving uh, in this industry? Yeah. So there is a lot of regulation that will be implemented in the next few years. We have seen We have seen already regulation, but there's more. Mm -hmm. And uh, for companies, it's it's, uh, expensive Mm -hmm. and complex to meet this regulation. And not only because it's complex to them, it's because it's also complex for the regulatory agencies. So this is not only industry. and, And this can be applied not only to oil and gas, you can be talking about waste management, construction. I mean, the, this um, the move to doing things more sustainable, it's its not only oil and gas. It affects many, but that's my background, and I'm starting with oil and gas. Yep. Uh, so the there's different regulatory agencies. You can have the EPA, uh, which is the Environmental Protection Agency. They're rolling hundreds of, of regulations that then the agencies at the local level, so in Wyoming, in Colorado, they have to roll them out. So for the agencies, it's also tough. So you have your regulatory agency trying to incorporate and implement these regulations. They're not prepared. And then the industry, on the other hand, has to comply with this regulation. So it's very complex. And these are things where, okay, we're starting in 23, we're starting on 24. I mean, they're rolled out. So you have to do it. If not, you get fined. Yeah. And, so, and I didn't know about that. Doesn't work, doesn't work with regulatory agencies. I mean, when there's tremendous complexity, I'm sure there's things that, that just the industry. And it's like, I, I, I had no idea that that the time or this or that, right? I mean, tremendous complexity and you must be right all the time. Is that fair? Yes, because there's financial risk, right? right. There's financial risk. There's It could be reputational risk. Right. Um, and in Colorado, for example, so I talk about the federal level, but you have uh, regulation on the federal level, state level, and local level. And when you talk about state, Colorado is one of the most heavily regulated states when it comes to oil and gas. But now we're rolling out regulation that affects your dry cleaners, your brewery, because they all have to get air permits mm-hmm. so again this is this is something that is happening to many different industries so the potential for me to scale my product um, outside of oil and gas is, is a great opportunity for us sure yeah some great tailwinds what what about uh the other thing i wanted to double click on was uh you you talked about how even just in the last two years ESG has changed. Um, I'm curious, you know, because for some of our listeners that may have heard the acronym or may have uh, may have a, an understanding of the space, I'd love for you just to share with us a little bit about what what has changed and what is happening, you know, more generally in in that space. Sure. Um, so ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Uh, previous to that, most publicly traded companies we're reporting a sustainability report. The sustainability report merged into ESG. And these were uh, metrics that you were tracking. And depending on industry, you might have different metrics that you're tracking. Uh, There's an organization called SASB. There's like 77 different guidelines for 77 different industries. And then you have a lot of other Um, organizations that have guidelines. So that's one of the problems. There's so many guidelines from, so which one are you following? So there's no uh, cohesive 
guideline approach. That's one. And then unfortunately, ESG was a politicized. Some people were using it in one way. Some people were using it in another. Um, and there were a lot of funds putting dollars in what is called sustainable investing. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning if you had clean tech, you would prioritize those companies and invest in them. Well, there was a recent article by the Wall Street Journal that says that $14 billion have been withdrawn in Q3 from sustainable investing. So we're not seeing the dollars that uh, we're seeing before in this space. And the reason for that is because the math wasn't mathing. I think Danielle said that the math wasn't mathing. So they were not seeing the results that they wanted to see. I see. Um, and and there's some rolling back of those the sustainable uh, funds. Wow. So what? So this has this has some pretty s serious impacts, I would guess, on some of these initiatives. But what? How do you see? How do you see this playing sort of to your favor? What is uh, and, and that was part of the pivot is that um, even though the platform has a sustainability slash ESG module, mm -hmm. it's more about the compliance because of this regulation that that's that's happening. I see. That and then piece probably, is happening because I imagine this. There's sort of this is one of those industries that really ebbs and flows. Probably has a, you know also sometimes has a lot to do with. Uh, who's in office uh, and, th and those sorts of things as well. So, I imagine you 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 can be you can position the company to sort of capitalize if you have sort of a long term sustainable model. You can also capitalize on you know sort of the ebbs and flows depending on how spending is you know surging or or diminishing. Is that right? Yeah, and one of the things to keep in mind is it doesn't matter what we look at. It's always in relationship to something else. Mm. Always. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about ESG on its own and you're saying, you know, this this are this is where we want to go. Well, is it a nice to have or is it a must? Because mm -hmm. when you have a contracting capital market, when you have uncertainty, when you have inflation, when you have two wars. Things that could have been a nice to have, you're going to do without them because now you need to focus on other things. So it, it, I don't like to look at something on its own. You always have to look at your other variables and, he, and seeing how those variables are playing because they do have an effect. And I think, you know, there's... You go to the grocery store and it's like, wow, I mean, the prices are so high, gas is so high, and people are like, we need lower energy prices. So it, it really forces you to reprioritize some things because if you are going through an economic boom, it's different if you might be going through a recession. Exactly. Yeah. The interconnectedness of all these things is is really imperative to consider. Um Wonderful. Uh, what about, uh, you mentioned uh, some of these changes to the product. You mentioned sort of some of the evolution of the product. I'm curious, what any anything exciting to announce? Anything coming soon? Or or also kind of what's ahead, um, you know, or what, what's getting you excited over the next uh, few years with Impacto? Yeah, absolutely. So I am, um, as a solo founder, um, I've had to learn a lot about the tech piece, right? Um, I was listening to a podcast that um, it said it used the term naive ambition. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. And then, you know, I start building product and I'm like, oh, boy, I I um, I don't have a lot of technical background. Uh, so getting that and getting the right team to build the product was a journey on its own. Sure. And I'm really happy of where we are today um, of the of the the team that is working on building product and will be launching the first module of the platform uh, early December. So I'm really excited about that. And, you know, when you talk about your first module, 
this is a B2B SaaS platform. So it is more complex because the architecture of the platform has to be to onboard companies and their employees, right? So that structure is a lot more complicated. So just the structure of the platform, you need to have hierarchy levels, you know, you have your managers and your, your, your users, then the, the leadership team. So the platform has different um, roles and permissions. Roles and permissions and views depending on who you are. Something that if sometimes you have a B2C platform, it's a little bit more straightforward. One size fits all. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So really excited that we're rolling out the platform with the first module. And the first module is safety because safety is really key and really important. And uh, we're already working on our second module, which is compliance. Uh, So I'm really excited to... Uh, finally see the platform come to life and and um, be something that adds value to the clients again this is this is what it's all about you know we want to make their lives easier and um, technology is so great for that uh, sometimes our lives are too complicated and it's like all you need is a software tool to help you with this. And then you can have, you know, three hours back in your day. Yeah, I think I think we could all use it, 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 even three minutes back in our day. Sometimes it feels like so that's incredible when you can when you can change, uh, change the lives of customers in that kind of way. And um, yeah, it's exciting. It'll be very exciting to watch. Patsy. And, um, I, I think, uh, you, you know, not only the journey of your company, but, uh, you know, the, the journey of, of, you know, this product and how it could really change this industry will be fun, fun to follow. Um, I'd love for you to kind of, you know, last, last question. Um, I, I, I kind of like to, uh, like to go a little more personal on this one. I know you, you love to travel. And so I, I, I as you mentioned, so I, I, I'm curious, uh, where, where are you going next? And, uh, kind of a sub bullet to that, that comment. I'm curious, uh, if you, if you ever get back to, to Lima, if you ever travel back to Peru. Yeah. So one of the things about being a, a founder is you need to be flexible to continue to make modifications in your life. So I am really happy that I did a lot of traveling before I started this company, because now I'm <laughs> fully committed to this uh and i am not traveling anywhere anytime soon okay um dedicated <laughs> but uh you know it's uh you have to remain flexible and and that's okay and that's what it, it's one of the things where i didn't think i was going to be able to change my life so much um, and I have, I've made the modifications and, uh, I'm excited about what the future holds. So, you know, sacrifice, it's sacrifice, it's delayed gratification. Yep. Um, I do travel to Lima. I was in Lima this year earlier and, um, and I tried to go there at least once a year because I still have family there, but I also have family in Europe and, uh, you know, new experiences, new experiences, visiting new places, trying new foods, new wines. I mean, it's, I love it. I absolutely love it. How about you? Are you a big traveler? That's great. You know, I've been traveling a lot for work lately, um, but I did, I actually just got back from a trip to, uh, to Canada. I grew up near Niagara Falls, uh, just in the, in the, in the U S kind of near, near Buffalo, New York. So it was fun to get out of the country. I think that's the first time I've been out of the country this year. Um, oh no, actually my, my good friend got married in Mexico city. So that that's two trips. Um, but you know, I used, I used to travel for a living when I was working for the government and, um, I feel like I'm just starting to get back into it. My kids are at an age where, uh, you know, they can, they can handle it. And so we're, uh, although we don't have any major family trips on the horizon, um, I'm, I'm hopeful my wife, if she's listening, she's probably like, oh yeah, I'll show you. We're going to schedule one soon, but uh, she's, that's right. He loves to travel too. So, um, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be great. I actually, South America is, is, uh, you, you know, generally somewhere where I would love, love to spend some time. I've, I've never been, you know, embarrassingly, I've never been to South America, so I'd love to get down there. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. South America is beautiful. Peru is beautiful. You know, you have the, the mountains, you have the, in Peru, you have the mountains, you have the beach. 
Yeah. You have the jungle. Um, the the Amazon River starts in Peru. That's right. Uh, so the Amazon is is beautiful and uh, really fun and has a lot of exotic animals. So um, a lot of people go to Machu Picchu in Peru, which of course sure. is fantastic. But the jungle is also fantastic. Well, maybe that'll uh, maybe you've inspired me, Patsy. Maybe that that'll I'll have to think about that in the works. So that's great. Yeah, shit. We'll love to have you there. All right. <laughs> well, I just wanted to thank you. You've been a phenomenal guest. I think your story is is amazing. And um, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but I, I would couldn't agree with you more. We need to tell the stories of more incredible women in business because there are so many great stories to be told of women that are changing the narrative and and really just inspiring others and and leading companies, starting companies. So I'm thankful to you for not only what you have done with your career, but your willingness to share your story today. So thanks for that. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here with you, Les. And uh, thank you for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed this. Great. Well, to, to conclude, why don't you just tell our listeners where they can find you and more about Impacto Online? Sure. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Patsy Landaveri, you can find Impacto on LinkedIn as well, Impacto Strategy, and our website is impactostrategy.com. Wonderful, Patsy. Thanks so much. Awesome. Have a great one, Les. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time.